We're gonna start off with a little audience participation. You guys game? Okay, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm going to say a phrase, there's a couple of words. Then you're going to say whatever you think the next part of the phrase is. You get it? Just the next couple of words. Our Father who art in heaven. Very good. Thy kingdom come. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. So God's will be done down here on earth like we know God's will is done in heaven. Give us this day. So you guys have heard this one before, huh? <laughs> Give us this day our daily bread. You see, the truth of the matter is that almost everybody is familiar with the Lord's Prayer. If you're over the age of 30, most people can recite the Lord's Prayer from memory. What's interesting to me is that most people are very familiar with the Lord's Prayer, could recite it from memory, but very few people, very few people understand what it means and how it relates to their life every day of their life. Now, I don't know what you know about how we come up with our topics from week to week. Um, they're all very carefully considered. They're all very prayerfully considered. But some of them are just easier than others because we say, you know what, there's, there's just certain topics that are kind of the foundation of our faith and our congregation, we ought, to be, we, ought to, we ought to be introduced to those foundational topics that inform our faith in God. Other times it's easy because we just, we just are aware of needs in our congregation or in our community. And, when, and we want to address the need. And so from time to time we will talk about marriage because we know that oftentimes people are struggling in their marriages. Our parents are having a difficult time knowing how to, you know, navigate uh, raising children in our contemporary culture. Or sometimes just we as Christians or we as human beings are having a hard time figuring out, like, how exactly do we do this Christian thing in a society that seems so anti-everything? Christ. And so those, those topics are, are fairly easy to, to figure out that we need to address. And then other times the topic... It's just a little harder. It's not always as clear. And so there are times that I just pray this really simple prayer. I've been praying it for 35 years now. The prayer is something like this. God, what would you have me talk about this Christmas? I've been a Christian now for 50 years. I've come to understand what I understand sense to be the voice of God in my life, and I just listen. And sometimes it's hours, sometimes it's days, sometimes it's weeks, I just listen. God, what would you have me talk about this Christmas? So weeks ago, I, I, I prayed the prayer. God, what would you have me talk about this Christmas? And his answer was this, thy kingdom come. And I thought, um, God, that's a great topic. I love that topic. Maybe we could do that in 2023. 
I was thinking something for Christmas. What do you want me to talk about for Christmas? I hear, thy kingdom come. I was, I was thinking something a little more Christmassy. All I heard was, thy kingdom come. So here we are. We're gonna explore the topic of thy kingdom come. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Of all the topics that Jesus talked about, the one that he talked the most about was the kingdom of God. Over and over and over again, Jesus kept talking about the kingdom of God. And the disciples, they were absolutely intrigued. They, they, they think they understood what that meant. And so they were always asking him about, you know, when will the kingdom begin? And, and what will it look like? And then they were wrestling with, will we get to be a part of it? And what will our position be in the kingdom? And, and Jesus just kept talking about the kingdom. In fact, on one occasion, Jesus said these very profound words. He said, seek first the kingdom of God. Like of all the things that you could pursue at the top of the list is you ought to seek first the kingdom of God. And yet, interesting to me, we rarely ever talk about it. I wrote something in my manuscript for this message that I wanted to get just right. So I'm going to read it to you rather than try to remember it. Okay? So I don't usually quote myself in my messages, but I wrote this. Few Christians understand that our entire lives are lived in the context of a kingdom. We live in an epic empire ruled by a sovereign, almighty king every day. Unfortunately, most of us miss out on what it means to be living in such an extraordinary Camelot, clueless as to know how it all works in real time and in real life. Even more unfortunate is how many Christians live in abject ignorance of the fact there is an opposing kingdom ruled by an evil and malicious monarch who wages war on their soul at every turn, often living in defeat, completely unaware of who they are and to whom they belong. As citizens of God's righteous kingdom through faith, Christians are endowed with the love, the peace, the joy, the hope of knowing nothing can or will happen to them that their sovereign king does not ordain for them, safely ensconced in the enduring faithfulness to all those who are dearly, his dearly loved subjects. I want to talk to you about the kingdom of God. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, kingdom of God, I, it, it's just, it's, I don't even get that. Like, that doesn't even make sense. And I go, oh, hang on a second. This is a theme that you're very, very familiar with. If you stop and look at all the box office hit movies or television shows that deal with kingdoms, this is a very familiar theme. All right, just look at this. This is some of them that are very, very popular. The Crown, my wife's favorite show. 
Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, Thor, Gladiator, The Lion King, Shrek, Braveheart, The King's Speech, Robin Hood, Princess Bride, our first movie, my wife and I, very first movie we saw together, Cinderella, The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Excalibur, Chronicles of Narda, probably even Yellowstone is a kingdom metaphor. People say to me, the Bible's so boring. And I would say, because you're doing it wrong. You're not reading it correctly. If you start reading the Bible from the perspective of the kingdom themes, what we find is that all the great themes are there. Gallantry, suspense, intrigue, love, peace, power, loss, wealth, victory, seduction, sedition, tyranny. It's all there. It's all from Genesis to Revelation, all those wonderful, noble themes of kingdom are written all through the pages of the Bible. But again, most Christians, we don't think in those terms. I mean, think about it. The entire Bible is set against the backdrop of a kingdom. Early in the Old Testament, God comes to the nation of Israel. And he says to them, I will be your king. I'll be your king. I'll make sure that I'll provide for you and I'll protect you. And then you can be my people. You can be my subjects. The Old Testament is written in the context of kingdoms. We call them empires because it's the Egyptian kingdom. It's the Assyrian kingdom. It's the Persian kingdom. It's the Babylonian kingdom. You come into the New Testament, it's written against the backdrop of a kingdom, an empire called Rome, the Roman kingdom. The whole Bible is written against the backdrop of a kingdom. Jesus comes on the scene. He starts saying things like, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is in your midst. He, he, he teaches with parables, dozens of parables. Almost every one of the parables that Jesus teaches begins with this line. The kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. And he introduces some attitude some value, some behavior that is characteristic of what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. The kingdom theme is all through the Bible. And then, then we, can't, we, can't, we can't fail to miss the kingdom struggle of the kingdom of darkness against the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God against the kingdom of Satan. And they're at war with each other. And guess who they're fighting over? They're fighting over you. They're fighting over me. They're fighting over us as the church. These two kingdoms lost, locked in a mortal combat to be the rightful owner of the throne that is at the center of your soul. And we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we just move through the words. And we don't really think or understand what it is that it's all about. So when I was in graduate school, I, I, took, I took an entire semester's course on a class called the kingdom of God. It was taught by this amazing professor who actually had written a number of very popular books on the topic of the kingdom of God. And there was so much there. And I get four Sundays with about 35 minutes. Actually, three Sundays, and I get a 20-minute little 
reflection in our Christmas Eve service. So we're not going to exhaust this topic. So as a way to sort of, you know, kind of get our handles on the topic of the kingdom of God, um, let me, uh, me kind of give you a, sort of the four essential components. You guys interested? Okay, four essential components of what it means when you're talking about a kingdom. The first one is you got to talk about a ruler. That's the monarch. That's the king. That's the one who's in charge. That's the one who oversees the kingdom. You have to talk about the ruled. That's the subjects. That's the people who live up under the rule of the king. You have to talk about the rule, not the rules, but the rule, the way that the king operates the kingdom, the economy in which he conducts his oversight over his subjects. And then you have to talk about the realm. Like what is the, the impact or the reach, the, the geography of the rule of the ruler? Does, it, does that make sense? So today we're gonna begin with this one. We're gonna begin with the realm. Another thing I want you to know, as you're reading your Bible, which I'm, I'm assuming you're doing that, you're reading your Bible, maybe now starting to read through a different lens, the lens of the kingdom of God. But, but when you read through the Bible, you're going to find the discussion about the kingdom of God takes three different expressions. And you have to kind of be aware of like which particular expression am I reading in this passage because sometimes a passage in the Old Testament is different about how it's discussing the kingdom of God than it does perhaps in the New Testament. So there's these three expressions of the kingdom of God. The first one is the sovereign reign of God over all the universe. Sometimes the kingdom of God discussion is about God being the sovereign ruler of the entire universe, everything that exists. God is the king of that. In fact, in the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Psalms, you'll find this very fascinating expression. It'll say, um, the earth is his footstool. It's the image of God on, the, uh, on a throne and he's resting his feet on planet earth because it's just, it's just a small part of the enormous universe that he created and that he sustains, that he rules over as the sovereign Lord of all. Another way that you'll see the topic of the kingdom discussed is the eternal kingdom of God on earth, not this earth, the new earth. God talks about a time when this earth will be transformed into a new heaven and a new earth. The eternal kingdom of God on earth with Jesus on the throne. You'll read about this in prophetic literature, books like Daniel in Isaiah, and the book of Revelation, that there is a time coming when this earth will be transformed and Jesus will sit on the throne. The, the, the throne will actually be given to the son from the father. He's the heir to the throne. He becomes the king over all that God had ruled over. There's a time that we on earth, this new earth, will know Jesus as the king who sits on a throne and rules the world. But the one that is of most current interest is this one that we are relating with now. And that is the submission of a human being to the reign of Christ in their life. Thy kingdom come 
thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it begins with me and it begins with you when we turn our hearts over in submission to Christ as the king of our life. And suddenly what we find is that this kingdom looks very differently. It behaves very differently than what we might see portrayed in the movies. Now it's talking about a realm of faith. This something outside of the dimension of the physical, the temporal. We start seeing the kingdom of God become real in our lives as we in our faith submit ourselves to Jesus. So, so here's some things about that kingdom of God in the hearts of human beings. You still with me? You guys got a very interesting look on your face right now. All right. First of all, this kingdom of God that we're talking about, it's a realm that's everywhere. It's a realm without geographical borders. That's why the kingdom of God is described as reaching to the ends of the earth. There is no limit. There is no borders. Most kingdoms that we are familiar with in our time of history or in past history, they had regions. They had places on the globe that the king ruled over, but he didn't rule over everything. The kingdom of God has no borders. The second thing, a realm that welcomes everybody a realm without racial or ethnic homogeneity. Meaning, it's not about a particular group of people. It's about anybody and everybody. Anybody, black, white, rich, poor, it doesn't matter where you're born on this earth. If you submit your life to Jesus Christ as your king, you are a part of this kingdom of God. Thirdly, it's a realm that is unconquerable. It's a realm without economic, political, or military limits. Every kingdom, every kingdom that's ever existed on planet Earth, it had limits. Stop to think about it. The United States is sometimes referred to as a superpower. That will not exist forever. Because at one time, the Babylonian Empire was a superpower. The Egyptian empire was a superpower. The Roman empire was a superpower. And they've all fallen off the world stage as a superpower. But not the kingdom of God. Because the king is eternal. The king cannot be conquered. The king is the almighty one. He's described in the Bible as our defender our sword and our shield, the mountain to which we retreat because there's no limits to his ability to sustain his rule. And finally, it's a realm that is eternal, a realm that has and does and will exist forever. Here's what I want you to know. The kingdom of God will never come to an end. It has been and it always will be around. So, simple definition. The kingdom of God is the rule of Jesus in the hearts and the lives of humans. Does that make sense? 
And suddenly, when, when we understand that, then, then other words and themes that we find in the Bible start to make more sense when you fit them in the context of, wait a second, the kingdom of God. And we read words like worship. And we read words like submission and obedience and truth, dedication, loyalty, sacrifice, honor. Those all change when you start to think in terms of the kingdom of God and our part in it. Make sense? Okay, that was just a little bit of background. Shall I continue? Yeah, yeah, I should. But that brings me to one of the most difficult parts of the entire discussion. It's the most unpopular part of the discussion about the kingdom of God. It's, it's, it's at times very controversial. And it can be very uncomfortable. In fact, it can even be offensive. Especially in a culture, in a society where it's driven by the popular belief that, well, there's my truth and it's my choice and my preference and my lifestyle and my faith. They're all equally valid. We live in a society like that. And preachers like me, we have the unenviable task of stepping into that discussion and serving as a messenger of the kingdom. And oftentimes we catch a lot of flack for speaking to the issue. And we get it from all sides. We get it from those who disagree with the topic at large, and we get it from Christians who agree about the topic but feel uncomfortable about the people who disagree about the topic. And at times the preachers encourage, hey, just don't, don't, don't go there. Just don't talk about it because it's, it's not everybody likes it. So stay away from it. The only problem with that is Jesus and the writers of the scriptures they speak very openly and honestly about it with great urgency. You get the impression it is not a topic that you should avoid because it is so critical, so crucial in its implications to the lives of human beings. You must talk about it. And as a messenger, I have to talk about it. And I thought we'd talk about it on the first week of the series to give you some time to process it and decide if you're gonna come back for the rest of the series. You got it? Okay, and to kind of keep this as neutral as I can, I'm just gonna show you some verses from the Bible that either Jesus or the writers of the New Testament letters, they wrote. I'm not gonna provide a lot of commentary. I just want you to see what the Bible says about the kingdom of God. Make sense? 
Look at this. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, meaning this is, this is of utmost importance, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Nobody enters into the kingdom of God unless they're born again. So, so we have to figure out what born again means. Look at this, in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. What does he mean by that? That means it doesn't matter what you might be able to muster as a human being by way of what you think should allow you entrance into the kingdom of God. He's saying blood, flesh and blood, you, you can't do this in and of your own self. You hear people say, well, I was, I was raised in a Christian home. I went to church almost every Sunday. And Jesus said, that doesn't get you into the kingdom of God. We hear this a lot. Well, Paul, I'm a good person. I'm nice. I'm moral. I'm generally ethical. I, I, I treat people well. I'm, I'm a good person. That will not get you into the kingdom of God. We hear people say, you know, there's, there's so many different roads to heaven. There's so many different faiths. And, and uh, you know, if cornered, some people say, you know, of all the different faiths, I, I like Jesus the best. But I'm not going to criticize the others. I, I would say I, I tend to like Jesus better. That will not get you into the kingdom of heaven. The Bible's very clear. The things like repentance and submission and devotion to the king is what is prerequisite to enter into the kingdom of God. Look at this. Jesus said, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will not enter it. Unless you have a certain innocence of faith that allows you to trust things that you don't completely understand, that you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. Look at this. This is tough. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, I tell you, unless your righteousness, your, your good behavior, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, which were the, the religious elite of Jesus' day, you, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. Look at this. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, hey, Lord, Lord, remember me. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. But I, I said all the prayers. I stood up and I sat down and I did all the things with my hands. I, 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 I knew his name. And he said, not everyone who knows my name will enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And suddenly then it starts to make sense when Jesus says this, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it, there, there's lots of people. It's a very popular path. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And to those who find it, they're few. 
Do you see it? Do you see the repeated theme? And, and I've just showed you a couple of verses. I, I could back the truck up and show you dozens of more. Dozens of more. But are you seeing the repeated declaration? The repeated declaration is this. It's clearly stated in numerous places that some people will enter the kingdom of God and some will not. Again and again and again, Jesus and the other authors of scripture make it crystal clear that not everybody will enter the kingdom of God. Which raises some curiosity as to who and how does one enter into the kingdom of God? At least it does for me. I'd want to know how do I enter the kingdom of God? Well, the Bible's very clear about that. And on a number of occasions in different contexts. Look at this. Jesus looked at him and he said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? It is hard if you're of great wealth. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Because if you think that having a lot of money brings you the kind of morality or the kind of security that allows you into the kingdom of God, you're, you're tragically mistaken. It's often people with great wealth who trust in something other than the king. They trust in the security that their wealth brings. And Jesus says, you'll never enter the kingdom of God that way. If you have your Bible, I mean, this, this is an amazing passage. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. I'm gonna read it to you. I think you ought to, your Bible ought to fall open to this passage. Look at this, starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, talking about Jesus, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory, and all the nations, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now listen, then the king, we're talking about a kingdom. The king, the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, here, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For the king says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I, I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, which is the word king. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When, when did, we, did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did that for me. The disenfranchised, 
the poor, the broken. As you served them, you served me, the king. The king will reply, I'll tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger. You did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you ignored me. You did not clothe me. I was sick. I was in prison. You, you didn't bother to, to look after me. And they will answer, Lord, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison? And we did not help you. And he will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do, for the one of the least of these you did not do for me. Then they, they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. It's disturbing, isn't it? It gets more disturbing. First Corinthians, do you not know that wrongdoers will not enter the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral or idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with other men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the slanderers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were when you lived out under, from under the rule of the king, you, you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the king, the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the spirit of God. It's have you changed the kingdom that you live under? Galatians chapter five, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Like the, the list is long. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Ephesians 5, for of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, it has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Over and over again, the Bible has Jesus and the other writers of scripture on record as declaring that not every human being will be permitted entrance into the kingdom of God. While the kingdom of God is wide open to all, it is not entered into by everybody or everyone. And not being permitted entrance into the kingdom of God is their choice based on what they chose to believe, what they chose to trust in, and what they in their will determined was best for them. It, it won't be God's fault because he has opened the doors of his kingdom wide to all. And so if you take what we learn about the kingdom of God in the pages of the Bible, we find that there's, there's three prerequisites. There's three prerequisites. 
And I think we should be crystal clear on what they are. It's the repentance of sin. It's coming to the admission that what I'm doing is wrong before a holy God. Faith in Jesus. Trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the resurrection as being the only answer for the hope that I long to have. And submission to God's will. To live up under the rule of the king as best I understand it from a study of the scriptures. Okay. That's heavy stuff. And it's not, it's not something I enjoy doing. Because it's uncomfortable. And at times, it sounds exclusive. Which in our society is very unpopular. Can I be just really honest with you right now? It's not my kingdom. It's not my kingdom to make the rules or to define the prerequisites. It's not my kingdom to sell to the highest bidder or to grant some backstage pass to the most popular. That, that's not mine to give away. It, it's not mine to like change it and alter it as a way to appease the woke crowd or to manipulate people into being my friends or to win more members for our church by avoiding it. It's not my kingdom. It's not my kingdom to give away. I think over the generations, we've confused people about the offer of heaven. And we made it sound like a God of love welcomes all, all the well-intentioned, all the well-behaved, all the well-believing peoples of the earth who generally stack together a good resume of moral and ethical achievement that everybody gets into heaven like everybody gets a participation trophy. But when you step back and you realize that the offer of heaven fits up under the larger reign of God as a king of the universe, then it all starts to look very differently. Because now it's about a kingdom that's ruled by a king who insist on a level of humility and submission and trust and obedience that far exceeds the typical and traditional paradigm of just doing good. He's very, very clear as king what, it, what is required to enter into his kingdom. That's why the gospel, this message of the good news of Jesus is so crucial and so critical and so urgent. That's why I, as a messenger of the gospel, I come to you and I say, here's what you need to know about Jesus. Because he is the one way that you'll ever have to get into the kingdom of God. And as unpopular and as controversial as this topic is, Sounding the alarm and letting people know is about as loving as I can be. 
in the same way that a parent seeks to help their children avoid reckless and foolish choices that place their lives in danger. I have to tell you the truth. The kingdom of God is the rule of Christ in your life as king. And every one of us, we have to answer that question. Is Jesus the king of my life? And you say, uh, Paul, I appreciate your passion here today, but what in the world does this have to do with Christmas? I thought this was the Christmas series. It is. It is. Because suddenly this ancient message of Jesus is ripped out of the pages of the Bible and it becomes real to us here today that when the angels of old said, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for anybody who will listen to it today in the town of David. A savior has been born to you. He is the anointed one. He is what? The king. That baby that was born in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago was the heir to the throne of the kingdom of God. And he's a savior. And he's offering you and me help and healing and hope to anybody who stands outside of the safety and the security of the eternal king of the universe. And he's inviting you, please come to me. All of you who are weary and burdened with life, come to me. Because you'll not enter the kingdom of God unless you are born. So like those kings of old, you'd be wise to seek him. Make sense? If you come back next week, I'll tell you a little bit more. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Our father in heaven, you are a great king. And you reign over a great kingdom. And in your great grace, you invite each of us to come and be a part. Help us, Father. Help us make the right choice. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, gang, have a great week.